Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College presents Liberty Mail with the Student Fellows of Faith and Freedom. Welcome back to Liberty Mail. I'm Libby Krieger. I'm Aaron Jenks. And we are coming to you from Grove City College's underground studio. We're um, putting this on with the Institute for Faith and Freedom, so thank you so much for listening. Um, and just to start off, a little disclaimer. I know we talked last week about doing a Man on the Street video. Aaron and I, we did try. I can tell you that. We went to Slippery Rock University just down the road here from Grove City, and we tried to talk to people and get their definitions of conservatism and liberalism and just kind of get a litmus test of where students are at, and no one wanted to talk to us. We got about two people. So that Out was of quite like, unfortunate. Yeah, we were there for about an hour and a half, and we talked to probably 30-something students. And the common answer was, mm, I don't talk about politics. Or they just didn't know. We would tell them a little bit, give them some insight into what we were asking, mm-hmm. um, just kind of where they fall on the spectrum. And they'd be like, oh, I don't do that, or I'm not even sure what conservative liberal is. So, Yeah, in our intro... Usually, just to see if, like, if you want to comment and see if, if this is too hard of a question to give us some feedback, we'd walk up to someone, hey, would you like to do a one-minute interview um, to describe whether you're a liberal, conservative, or none, and, like, what that means to you, if you mm-hmm. could define it? And so if you can give feedback to that, if that is how you think we should switch that or modify it, or if that is good, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. But we are, I can tell you this, we are trying to go down to pit next week, maybe get some more passionately... Um, liberal or conservative, just more people who are engaged on at Pitt to try to get some more um, video content for you guys. So look out for that in the next two weeks. Some we'll try city to, folk. Exactly. <laughs> a little bit of a different demographic than here at Grove City. So um, that will be coming down to you soon. So Aaron, do you want to kick us off with this first one of the week? Yeah, we're going to kick it off. Coming back to the infrastructure bill, um, Biden recently was quoted saying that he would... Um, want to pass the infrastructure bill with or without the Hyde Amendment. Um, he was questioned pretty thoroughly from uh, liberal uh, uh, activists or yeah. just senators. Or and so people were asking him if he would pass it because a lot of the progressives do not want the Hyde Amendment uh, involved in the process. So to be clear, the Hyde Amendment... So the Hyde Amendment is part of a Republican effort, and it says that no federal funding um, will be put towards abortion. Mm-hmm. And there's an exceptions in case of, like, uh, the mother's uh, life is in risk or it's, like, a rape mm. or incest. But overall, no funding. And, see, I think it was in 1972, uh, previous to that, this Hyde Amendment was in place in the U.S. government. There was no federal funding of mm-hmm. abortion. And then uh, in 1972, it got taken away. So for the past 40 years, it has been in place. And now they're trying to put it back in place right now. Mm. Sure, Planned Parenthood is very upset with this. So that means it's a win for oh, conservatives. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, so the chair of the Congressional Pro, uh, Progressive Caucus, she was quoted saying that the Hyde Amendment is something that the majority of the country does not support. And uh, she was like the main person quoted mm-hmm. for Probably the every whole, news article that you saw. Yeah, whether it was uh, Politico, CNN, or uh, what is this, Newsweek. Um, she was quoted and a- asked most of the questions because she's a chair of the Progressive Caucus. Mm-hmm. What she's stating that the majority of Americans do not support this is, is false. And I just pulled up, I, I cite a poll or something, be like, oh, according to uh, the Marist polling mm-hmm. or Pew Research. Trafalgar, like whatever Yeah, something. It it went, just, I don't know. Sound a little more educated. <laughs> but um, we looked up and 
so there was a 2021 poll that's uh, this is from uh, Marist poll actually and said 58% of people in America oppose federal funding of abortion and then the same poll back in 2018 done by the Harvard Institute and uh, Politico said that 58% also opposed federal funding while only 60 or sorry only 36% supported federal funding mm-hmm. so she's completely off the mark off base yeah, yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is what you said is she's stating this like it's a fact mm-hmm. that it's a it's a well-known thing that Americans want abortions to be federally subsidized. And looking at the data, that's not true. And not even the data. Whenever you just consider, OK, conservatives are obviously against that because this is a sanctity of life issue. We should not. First of all, conservatives are against abortion, but especially the federal funding of it. But even libertarians, you know, their argument is normally um, as long as you don't make me pay for it, as long as it doesn't affect me. But forcing Americans to pay for something that they might disagree with, I think, would go against the libertarian grain as well. And then last week, our other win um, was about this progressive group that was secular, atheist, LGBTQ, um, a ton of different progressives coming together and uh, standing for the pro-life cause. So you have groups from all sides of the different spectrum um, who are against this pro-abortion movement. Um, So I think that shows right there that she's not necessarily correct, even if it wasn't looking at polling, but just kind of getting a litmus test of where the country is at. For sure. And the leader of that progressive pro-life movement, her name, Teresa Bakovinak, Mm -hmm. her main point was that uh, Democratic leaders or progressive leaders were misrepresenting the base mm-hmm. or, or misrepresenting uh, their constituents and that they were furious that this has been happening for a decade. Mm-hmm. And so this is the move of their movement. Um, and this is exactly what she's talking about when she sees this in the media, just constantly uh, this almost agenda or this uh, rhetoric being spread that, well, oh, they're trying to control the narrative. Yeah, just controlling it. Well, the problem is the mainstream media lets them do it. Too. I was just about to say, no one even looks into this. Yeah, no one, the Politico or whoever, whatever article, I'm guessing, I didn't necessarily look exactly at this, but whenever they, she quotes, they quote um, the Progressive Caucus chair, and she makes that statement of fact, they don't even go back and look and say, well, actually, this is the, this is the statistics that we mm-hmm. found. So, like, they, they kind of just put that in the narrative, too, and let that keep spreading as yeah, hey Google, flag flag this for disinformation. Honestly, they don't they don't fact check her. <laughs> no, it's so it's so upsetting because this took me. I think I brought this up on like the first podcast. It took me five ten minutes to look into this and be like, oh <laughs> no, let me mm-hmm. like these are non biased um, polling mm-hmm. polling groups, and they're coming out with data that yeah, th- both think sides Harvard agree to. Is conservative? Exactly. Check again. Or if they're going to pr- uh, support a conservative narrative, mm-hmm. like these go against. And I know I brought up like looking at respondents uh, in a previous poll that only had like I think it was like 400 or 500 respondents mm-hmm. that they use for a national story, and we were like, come on, guys. Um, so both of these surveys roughly had around 1,500. I think the Harvard one had a little more than 1,500, and then the other one had a little less. Uh, the Harvard one was based in only Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and the Marist one was a national survey. And they're both, what, 58%, so that's mm-hmm. that seems pretty on point. I mean, considering Pennsylvania is probably a good state to get a yeah, I, test of the I country. Think, yeah, even in the past election, we saw that it's kind of 
kind of splitting down the middle mm-hmm. with the Philadelphia. Well, that, yeah, that makes it a, a good state to poll in mm-hmm. that case. But not even is the Congressional or Progressive Caucus leader trying to control the narrative. You see this from like celebrities too. I know Jennifer Aniston um, this past week posted something on her Instagram, really upset about the Texas abortion case. And um, I think it was like a clip from friends or something. And it was like, no uterus, no opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just so frustrating that they, they try to make it seem like this is like the only acceptable opinion. Well, they make that moral argument that says this is correct. And if you disagree, Mm-hmm. almost an evil person then it's it's this progressive and bigot binary that you you're either progressive and you're accepting all these things and you're you're pushing forward or you're a bigot and you need to be ostracized from society if yes, you don't agree. specifically in the case of abortion and when we're talking about this Hyde amendment um a lot of the leaders and this is why i think joe biden was like or president biden said oh i'll, I'll sign the bill we mm-hmm. want to get this bipartisan bill through no matter what even if it has this Hyde amendment um and it's so important to the Republicans, even Senator Joe Manchin, uh, he was the main person citing a lot of articles, said mm-hmm. this bill will not pass without the Hyde Amendment. So if the Progressive Caucus wants to keep on uh, almost like throwing mud at the wall and saying, mm-hmm. no, 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 you need to take this away, it's not going to go through. Well, it shows you also the, the divide in the Democratic Party, which is really interesting. There's the progressives that keep want to move to the left, and then you have like Manchin and Cinema, who are trying to be the more moderate um, Democrats. Mm-hmm. And I think... I mean, you have to consider, like, Manchin's constituents in West Virginia probably are not going to be, even if they are maybe blue-collar Democrats or a little more liberal than your moderate conservative voters, um, they're probably not going to be as on board with these progressive um, agendas as the rest of, like, New York City is or, like, AOC's constituents are obviously going to be a different... um, You have to cater to it differently, you have to vote differently, and that's why you're seeing Manchin in cinema having different positions than the rest of the party. Yeah, and almost my last point, when we look at the constituents, the same two polls, and then also a Pew Research poll, so like average them, um, when they talked about Republicans, I think it was around 76% of Republicans uh, said they did not support funding of abortion. Mm-hmm. And then when they looked at uh, Democrats, it was 36% mm-hmm. of Democrats did not support funding of abortion. Okay, interesting. You know, I'm surprised actually the <clears throat> Republicans isn't higher. Because you think, what, 26% then? Yeah, I think that mostly comes into uh, when we talk about, or at least when we divide the Republicans into religious uh, factions Mm -hmm. or just non-religious and religious. Yeah, evangelicals, I guess, are definitely hard set Mm -hmm. pro-life. Mom and and Catholics were the highest Mm -hmm. uh, percent of either saying that they do not support abortion in any case or saying that they do not support funding of abortion. Good point. And and conservatives are wide Mm -hmm. tent, so we get a lot of people in here that don't fit. I mean, a lot of atheists too hmm. in the conservative tent. Yeah, that's true. But definitely this is a win for the pro-life movement, certainly. Um, and even just bipartisanship. I mean, this is not necessarily bipartisan, but if it, if we're seeing this pass, that's a good way to see that people are trying to work across the aisle or being forced to. I like I that point. And even to see Biden, President Biden saying, okay, yeah, we'll get this through because it's important to both parties. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. Um, So to move on to our next win of the week, I know this one might be, some conservatives might not see this as a win, but personally I do. Um, (laughs) The Supreme Court rejected a bid to accept D.C. statehood. So they weren't necessarily ruling on the merits of the case, but, um, or maybe partially were, but even some of the justices ruled on 
not even taking the case as a jurisdiction, like they didn't have jurisdiction. Um, and so I think this is a win because you have to consider where how D.C. was created. It was in 1790, Maryland and Virginia both ceded land to be a part of this federal district. And it was supposed to not be a part of the state mm. or any state. Um, and so you were this is more of a constitutional win. Um, on that basis, just looking at the intention of why D.C. was created. And also, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction when it comes to interstate conflict. And if D.C. is not a state, it can't have interstate conflict. And um, foreign, like with foreign dignitaries or foreign countries mm-hmm. or something like that. So I don't think this is an area where at least they would have had original jurisdiction. Um, Gorsuch and Justice Thomas argued that they wouldn't even have um, appellate jurisdiction, I believe, in mm-hmm. this case. And to add some uh, some background to the jurisdiction part, like the the constituents that want this to push through, or the uh, proponents of this DC statehood, are trying to go to the courts because they, when they try to go through the House, they're supported by the uh, Democrat majority. They're getting it through, but then they get to the Senate. And they can't. They can't get it through the Senate. Yeah. They and can't so, overcome the 60s, 60 votes needed to overcome the filibuster. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to go around the rules, bend the rules, and go through uh, the uh, Supreme Court, <laughs> the highest court in the land, and mm-hmm. be like, please, please, sir. <laughs> yeah, try, please take our case, please. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in one sense, I do understand the argument, because if you live in D.C. and you're not getting, I mean, obviously, you still have influence, because whenever you see, like, the, the protests down there and, like, just the movements down there, they gain a lot of traction. And so, to say that that doesn't have influence on the, the congressmen and the senators would be, I think, a miss. Um, but you don't have necessarily a, a vote in the House, or they have a delegate, um, but they don't have a vote in the Senate. Um, I understand, like, the no taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. That, that is where I'd say some conservatives may kind of agree with that because it does resonate a little bit. You think. Look at you go, looking at the other side. <laughs> yeah, but but then again, <laughs> but. I, yeah, the but is there. And I, I would still say, um, I was reading this article about the pros and cons to D.C. statehood. And one of the, the biggest things for me is like the unintended consequence. Um, so what, what this would do is it would create a Washington-Douglas Commonwealth, which mm. would be like the residential area of the district, and then it would still leave a federal district that included like the Capitol, the White House, and some federal buildings. It would be really small, um, but it would be there. And so you'd have three electoral votes for the Commonwealth, and you'd also have three for the federal district, though, because um, it's this weird thing in, I believe, the 23rd Amendment that so the grants the district no more electoral votes than that of the smallest state in the union, which is currently three electoral votes. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't depend on the size of the district. So the unintended consequence of that is that the White House, which would be basically the only residential area in this new federal district, would already get three electoral votes. So that means the president and the first lady, and if there's any other voters living in the White House – when, you know, if Barron Trump or whoever um, mm-hmm. is in the White House at that point could vote, you'd have three electoral votes to that family. That automatically go to the uh, rerunning president, yeah. Exactly. And even if not, they three electoral votes to the whoever they supported, if it, even if it wasn't them, mm-hmm. but they could support their party. Um, and I think that would be like a dangerous amount of power to give to the president. I agree. And then even with the Commonwealth, you have... <laughs> <laughs> hey, say it, but the DC has been overwhelmingly progressive for the yeah. past 
I don't know as long as I've been alive, 20 years. Yeah. So to see just, <laughs> they're like, okay, we're, we're going to push forward with this. Uh, we're going to use taxation as our argument. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the repercussions from all this. Oh, they get three electoral votes constantly for the next however long to always vote with, with I mean, the when is the Yeah, when is the D.C. going to change? No chance. No. They, they, that's why you sort of see conservatives try in D.C. because it's a lost cause. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be the smallest state by far and the most partisan state. Um, and I think what they do is the progressives use this no taxation argument because they know it's something like so American. And, you know, you learn about the founding. Yeah. And you, you, you just resonate with that. You Every like student that. learned about this in middle school, high exactly. school. Exactly. And you feel so, like, patriotic. And you're like, well, why wouldn't conservatives or why wouldn't all Americans support mm-hmm. that? And if we're going to look at that uh, original almost uh, aspect of w- what the founding fathers wanted, then let's look at the original intentions of, of, of DC. why D.C. was created. Exactly. And it, it's definitely not to <laughs> give electoral votes. It's just it's, it's to establish the, the federal uh, capital. Mm-hmm. And nothing else. Well, yeah, because otherwise you would have seen, like, Maryland and Virginia didn't have to cede that land. Mm-hmm. It was created specifically for the federal district that would not have, it doesn't have the same rights of a state. And that's fully planned in the intention of D.C. Um, so, again, like, I, I understand the argument, and I think it could be frustrating to be in that position. But I'd say, like, if if that's such an issue for you, Move like 10 minutes outside of the city into Alexandria or Arlington or, you know, then you can vote in Virginia's elections. Mm -hmm. And I almost like don't like bringing this up, but these people are all involved in government or whether they're involved with uh, an organization that is contracted by the government. They live in this area. They moved to this area full well knowing of what the political uh, ramifications were, Mm -hmm. that they they didn't have (laughs) uh, these, these types of votes that they're currently seeking for. And so now they're like, mm, no, I want to change that. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't get always get what you want in this yeah. instance. And it's, it's such a political motive, I think, behind behind the argument of the no taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. Because when you think about it, okay, the, if this Douglas Washington Commonwealth were to be created, they'd have two senators regardless of population. So that means, it, you know, right now the Senate is 50-50 with um, Vice President Harris being that deciding mm-hmm. vote. Um you'd have always the two-vote advantage to the Democrats. And I think, I mean, that's clearly intentional as to why they're doing it. Whenever the country is pretty evenly split, you're seeing like one to two votes majority often um, for one party over the other. And for the Democrats to have that constant two-point or two-senator lead over Republicans now, I think is is intentional. Um, and I think it's it's mostly a partisan ploy that they try to have a euphemism here to make it seem softer and resonate with more Americans by using the the liberty argument. I agree. And w- whether you think that's like good politics is playing a hardball game and like trying to bend the rules in your in your favor, we keep on seeing this common theme coming from this party is that whether it's uh, President Biden talking about ending the filibuster in the Senate to get uh, a bill infrastructure bill or a debt ceiling raised because you can't get that through. Okay, we can't get this through. We're going to change rules. Um, I wouldn't even say the party, but it's like the progressives itself in the party. Because I think like Mansion, very respectable. Mm-hmm. Cinema, I, I have a lot of respect for what they they are holding the line in that case and being the moderates. Mm-hmm. That's true. And then even um, you know AOC, uh, what was it? It was I think it was two weeks ago when we were talking about AOC wanting to uh, just like change the rule about uh, involving the immigration bill 
within the infrastructure pack, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. package. And Saying so, they should still go forward with it. And so. Yeah, change the rules. And so we just keep on seeing this common theme where the, if it's good politics, if that's what you view it, okay. But in my view, that's not the spirit of the law. And this is my thing where I'm just like, look at the spirit of what our nation was founded on and what uh, principles we stand for or what we used to stand for and then apply that to how we play politics. Yeah, the problem is like you might have a good heart, but not everyone does. Mm. And you see constantly the progressives are very good at politicking and they do play hardball, like you said, and they don't stop that. I mean, granted for them, I guess, applaud for the fact that they, they fight for what they believe in in a way that conservatives I'm not going to say we we seed, but sometimes we kind of let them take over um, and because we don't want to come off as like the political and like the the hardball ones. We want to be like the dignified ones. But what good does that do if you're the dignified loser? But I really think if some of the conservative leaders took that extra step where they, I don't know, maybe like in my mind, like stepping on the Constitution or the spirit of it, their constituents would throw their hands up and, mm. and just freak out. I I would hope so. Yeah. That's true. I think we, we all need to be a little more principled, um, both sides, in, in holding to the Constitution and the law rather than just our political narrative. Absolutely. So if we want to hop into Win 3, unless you have anything else to say. No, I think we, we covered everything. So SCOTUS said no to D.C. statehood. Okay. So recently, President Biden was in a long talk with... Uh, Xi Jinping? The, yeah, the, the Chinese president, I'll okay, just say. Yes. I, think that's, I think that's how you say it. That was impressive. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we got off a 90-minute phone call uh, regarding Taiwan relations because, I mean, even though we can go back 5, 10 years of just the increasing conflict between China either, either doing flyovers over Taiwan, but then more specifically we have the, uh, I think they were doing like 30 flyovers in the mm. past uh, week or something yeah, over I think Taiwan. tensions have been the highest between China and Taiwan recently. That, that was the headline that they keep on posting, yeah. yeah. And so President Biden came off the call and he stated that uh, the Chinese president was fully aware to stand by the Taiwan agreement that uh, the U.S. and China has and that he ought to and will stand by the agreement. And then Taiwan seemed pretty pleased by this, and they were confident even that the U.S. commitment to their statehood is, they said, rock solid Mm -hmm. uh, in a press release. And so the main reason we bring this up as a a liberty win is that, okay, we have this independent state, Taiwan, which some people can't even say Taiwan. like (laughs) John Cena. (laughs) Yeah. So we have an independent state that's either fighting for their freedom, like we saw uh, in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. and Hong Kong got blasted pummeled. now they're done yeah pummeled whatever you want to say so they're no more for them mm. sadly yeah. and now to see us stand by taiwan at least and act as their backbone if we can or at least at least say we are for the time being Let's yeah hope we at least play that, that political game that yeah. we're like okay we're gonna stand there by them yeah because i think what's happening here is we're trying to toe the line between china not stepping on China's toes and like making them upset because they are a global power, but also mm-hmm. still, you know, holding to American principles of, you know, you want freedom. This is if we believe this is a sovereign nation, lots of lots of Americans do, or we would want that to happen. Um, well, okay. So one of the things here that I was reading um, from the Brookings Institute, so not mm-hmm. not a conservative um, think tank at all, but um, it's talking about this Taiwan Relations Act and how. U.S. intervention suggests or assumes that the United States will defend Taiwan. Um, 
but it's just suggesting and it's saying how this is like specifically ambiguous um, to kind of toe that line between like mm. not making China upset, but also still like holding to our principles. Yeah, because there's no uh, definite description of what that defense looks mm -hmm. like, whether it's funding or sending in uh, troops or reaching yeah. out to the UN. Like we're supposed to still recognize Beijing um, as the capital, not, uh, what is it, Taipei? Mm. Um, so it's it's a little confusing, like what exactly where we fall in this, but it still looks like a good thing. If Taiwan is happy with us saying that rock solid commitment to that plan, then I think that's a good indicator. I agree. And at this point, no one else is going to come to the defense of any country that is being attacked by China. Because <laughs> China, we've seen this just increasing role in that, uh, oh, yeah. what is the southeast region mm -hmm. of uh, Asia. And so they just keep on going after countries, almost as if in comparison to uh, Russia going into the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And you, you need you need democratic states, or I mean, it could be anything. I'll take a uh, I'll take the UK and their monarchy state or whatever, Par and parliamentary, whatever, yeah, <laughs> and have them stand up for a country. Yeah. But you need these other countries that go against these communist regimes mm -hmm. and say, no, 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 you stay in your borders, don't go after these countries. Mm -hmm. And then we were talking about John Cena, like, brought John that up real quick. John Cena, yeah. He can't even, I mean. Was it Fast and Furious, I think, some interview, mm -hmm. he said the country of Taiwan. Mm -hmm. And was did China, like, take it off their markets or something where China was, like, upset? And so he has this whole, I watched it yesterday, this, this apology <laughs> video where mm -hmm. he's speaking in Mandarin, in Mandarin. I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like apologizing and saying how much he respects the Chinese people and the government and everything like that. And it's like, he, he can't even call Taiwan a country because it, it has to go back and like bow down to China to appease them. Yeah. That just shows you how much power they have. But I mean, it also shows you that John Cena doesn't have a, a spine, but that's <laughs> another story. Well, see, nothing happened in the public realm of, of that relation, but I'm, I'm sure his agent got a call and then he got a call and was like, this yeah, behind the scenes, serious. the stuff we don't see. I'm sure there was some stuff going down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that film grossed, I'd love to look it up again. It was around like 130 million hmm. and 110 million of that see, was is from. That, is that good for a film? I'm really not. I think that's relatively good. But okay. <laughs> at least like 120 of it or 110 was all based in uh, Chinese in China. markets. Interesting. Okay. So, so I guess it, it was very important that he... Yeah, he whether, apologized and crawled back to the Chinese Communist mm -hmm, Party. Because money talks the most for these Hollywood actors. Very true. Uh, yeah, but definitely, hopefully we, we stick to our word in this um, and assure that Taiwan is not over overcome by the Chinese because, I mean, we again, like you mentioned before, we saw that with Hong Kong mm -hmm. was not exactly a win for liberty, freedom, anywhere. Because obviously, like, yes, we're Americans and we we care first and foremost about liberties here, but obviously across the globe, that's, wh what's the quote? It's a threat to freedom somewhere is a threat, th a threat to freedom mm -hmm. everywhere. Something I like that. About, I, yeah. I've definitely heard that. I can't remember if it was Reagan or Churchill um, or someone else. I could be not remembering that correctly. But it, it's definitely important to consider, too, the the global impact. Yeah, I know a lot of people, like, yeah, I think of it like jumping the gun, but they think of Taiwan and they're, like, seeing the increasing tensions and then our commitment with, like, quotations around that mm -hmm. to uh, military aid. Yeah. 
and how that could slowly turn into a Afghanistan or mm. turn into a Korea or a Vietnam slowly. Yeah. While that's, I think that's like a realistic uh, worry in mm -hmm. the future. Oh, yeah. But currently, I think the more important thing is we got to stand by them mm -hmm. and make China make the first move. Because yeah. think of China, like in political uh, like ramifications of China making that first move, which is because I think there would be other the allies that yeah. would come to Taiwan's aid. Oh, that'd be an I interesting mean, time in the world politics. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, then you have that, even a debate among conservatives is like, should we be expanding dem democracies across the globe? Like the more like Bush neoliberalism mm -hmm. or should we go with like a non-interventionist route? Um, and I think probably Americans are swaying non-interventionists non just because of the political climate of Afghanistan recently. Um I'd probably also go a little more non-interventionist, but I still think that means we need to stand by our allies. If we, we've given our word, our word needs, mean, needs to mean something um, and to have respect across the globe too. Absolutely, 100%. Um, I, I don't think I'm like, definitely with that like, oh, need to spread democracy, but um, there's definitely an aspect where whatever regime is there, as long mm -hmm. as they're supporting human rights and humanitarian efforts that okay this is okay we don't need them to be democratic because look we look at china or uh i think never mind not china but we look at north korea and it's the north korean or the uh, is it people's no people no it's uh the democrat <sighs> democracy of like north korean uh republic yeah, it's something that it makes it sound very like like People's Republic of China. China. It, yeah. That is not you the People's Republic. Like, tyrannic like, regimes trying to sound like they're democracies. Yeah, it's it's just a euphemism. Mm -hmm. So whatever, they can be a king, and if that king is a good ruler, go for it. Yeah, we're gonna we'll try to support them. Yeah, I'm certainly no foreign policy expert. I just think we need, we need prudence and not taking a one size fits all approach across mm -hmm. the globe. So just you know, going into things, knowing our facts, and and. Uh, evaluating from there well look joe biden or president biden rather i keep saying it <laughs> i know i know i want to be more respectful uh so president biden two wins and in, involved in two wins of our week and i'm happy with it that, thank that, you that, president biden. <laughs> that wraps up the week um so next week looking into it we will be trying to go to uh the university of pitt and trying to get another man on the street video. We're very excited about that. Yeah, we're hoping to get some pushback on down there. I'm sure there's a lot of liberal students down there, so I'm I'm excited just to have some conversation. Hopefully nothing too fiery, but I mean if it happens, it happens. You'll Absolutely. you'll see it. You'll and we're really just trying to get like I wanna know students' definitions of, of these mm -hmm. uh terms, either the liberalism or conservatism. Yeah. And like I think when we get that, like that just we can pull so many different uh, stories or oh, takes out of that of like involving politics and involving uh, social media. Yeah. And even if you're listening or you're watching on YouTube, definitely tell us down below what your definition of conservatism is, because um, it's just I think it shows us not only um, what where America's at, where American conservatives are at, how they view it and where we need to. Um, continue to push the movement and where the potential is for growth in the movement. So that's kind of what we're trying to understand and um, just get, especially with the younger generation. That's why we're going to these college campuses. Mm -hmm. So once again, thank you all for tuning in to uh, Liberty Mail. This is Aaron Jenks. And I'm Libby Krieger. And we're signing off today. Thank you. For more information on this podcast or other programs, please visit faithandfreedom.com.